0: Oh, episode 342 of the Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I chatted Jamie Smith of Sumo Digital about their team-based heist action adventure game, Hood, Outlaws and Legends. Now Jamie reached out to me and asked me, "I want to chat about this game that Sumo Digital are making." Well, sure, let's see what we've got to say and see what we've got to show. And I saw. I was impressed, like the concept of it. The idea of working with others, against others, within certain classes to do a certain thing. And multi layered, really well created, crafted there's the words crafted game. It's very compact, and each level, each environment, which they're constantly pouring content into to this day, uh, ever since it was released earlier this year. Has been really, really impressive, and I just love the feeling of accomplishing something against others rather than the AI. Yes, I know uh, PVE experience is also very, very rewarding. Trust me, someone who's who's played a lot of MMOs in the past can really uh, see the appeal of that. But when you outwit others, other humans, then that's that's something special. And Hood Outlaws and Legends does a fantastic job of really nurturing that kind of environment, that uh, cooperative stroke competitive environment, which is really quite hard to do. And it gives a lot of avenues for different types of play. Some people like to be support. Some people like to be up front and actually take on the enemies. Some some people like to assist, if you like, you know, bring in the uh, or, or, or draw people in and then take out people from a long distance while others are distracting them. All of that. All of that is in Hood, Outlaws and Legends. It's really, really well put together, as I've already said, and uh, it's an absolute pleasure having Jamie on. He's a great guest. All my guests are great, but um, this one especially. So um, to me, listen to me from the past, talk to Jamie. Chris, if you'd be so kind.
1: Jamie. Hello. Good Who evening. Who are you? What do you do? Yes, I'm Jamie Smith, I'm currently a lead game designer at uh, Sumo Digital, and I've been working in the industry for about 10 years or so now, Um, and I've been at several companies, including Ubisoft and EA, and for the last couple of years I've been working on Sumo. Oh,
0: Ubisoft, eh? I finished Assassin's Creed this year, you probably saw, Jamie and I talk stuff on the Twitters, you know, we're fine, it's great, but yeah, 142 hours that sucker, my God! Well, is that is that Valhalla?
1: Yeah. Well, that's so, so. So that means you've probably only seen about ten percent of the game. About that. About that. <laughs> scratch the surface. Scratch. Barely scratch the surface.
0: But honestly, the the level mechanics in that game, which we talk about, which we're going to talk about, and with Hood Outlaws and Legends, but you know, leveling up for that particular game got to the point where there's no challenge left. Nothing. <laughs> oh, was just steamrolling everything. Anyway. So, you already hinted at it, but let's delve into it. How did you make it start making flashy, party video games?
1: Yeah, that's um, it, it's kind of a longish story, but I'll, I'll give you the short version. So I've been games for about 10 years now. So I got a job in games um, at Ubisoft, straight out straight of university. So I did a games course at university, um, managed to do a pitch for somebody who was a lead game designer at Ubisoft, and I got picked up as kind of an intern and that was straight straight on to the uh, the driver project. So driver San Francisco. I was on that for about a year and a half. Um, and then shortly after that I moved on to the crew, so a giant kind of open world driving game. And that was kind of my first, you know, real project where I got, you know, a lot more of a handle on, you know, the reins of working in small teams, big teams and so on. Um, and then shortly after that I'd moved on to the uh, the division. So Tom Clancy the division, the original one. Of which i was the designer of the loot system um or at least you know initially and i was there for maybe two and a half years again um left just shortly before it came out and then you know story goes after that i went to ea i was working on the fifa franchise i'm a big football fan so i was working on that remotely and then uh, after maybe three years or so i got the opportunity to come back to work at sumo with somebody who i used to work with at ubisoft so it's kind of You know, somebody I knew, an opportunity had came up. And as you mentioned, that was on the Hood Outlaws and Legends project. That's what I've been doing for the last two and a half years or so. But it all started with um, university and getting my kind of my big break in, in almost like a Dragon's Den kind of scenario, doing a game pitch and getting picked up from there.
0: That's quite a storied history and also lots of interesting companies and also lesson learned, everyone. Never burn those bridges, seriously. <laughs> well, unless exactly. there's that there is that one guy. Okay, fine, but <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> you know, or, yeah. per, or woman, sorry, um, but you know, sorry, or them. Uh, sorry, there you go. Dig, carry on digging, Jamie. I'll just carry on digging. But... <laughs> the one human being. There you go. Managed to do that. It's like yeah, you can burn that one. In case you burn it, and while they're on the bridge, that's fine. Um, but yeah, um, and it's interesting you mentioned footy i mean i i like to you know we were mentioning about sports and stuff in the virtual green room before and how i treat them as games because they are just having to be physical you know engagements and you know i love seeing the flow of play and understanding how various rules and stuff are exploited over others Uh, and some sports are more transparent than others when it comes to that like rugby and uh, uh, american football is very much transparent you can see the whole point is they've got to move the ball up the field. That's it. That's all they're trying to do. Uh, whereas it's less transparent and things like football and stuff like that. And uh,
1: Although I don't know much about football
0: because I'm a Palace supporter.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> your manager's coming in soon and they're still in the Premier League. So that, they that's are. I know.
0: Mean. Yeah. It's my little joke about me knowing about footballs yeah i don't know much why because i played you know support palace and it's just yeah, it's, I, I was born in south london no, no, no choice well i did but we weren't the other choice don't we well i'm not going to talk about that one it begins with letter <laughs> m no yeah wasn't, yeah not gonna no um so I, I have standards um no offense to anyone actually no but that's really
1: interesting you left you managed to graduate university which university did you go to did you say yeah so I'm, I'm from Middlesbrough, and Middlesbrough in the north yeah, yeah we have Teesside University so right. Teesside you know there's been you know pretty well known kind of university in the UK for games and just by pure coincidence uh, again I'm in the northeast it was it was on my doorstep so you know there was I wanted to go into games and there was no real reason to kind of move away to get that because it was considered you know at the time one of the best courses
0: yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing, isn't it? The fact that there are now courses for game design, whereas 20 years ago they did not. Well, 20, they were fledgling. And there might yeah. be one or two universities like Dundee and stuff like that that were starting to. And Avatar and stuff like that. They're all trying to start up, but they were basically trying to figure it out. But now, the fact that you can buy volumes and volumes of text on the concept of just. Get, I say just but the concept of game play and theory, which quite yeah. frankly has been around for a lot longer than people give it credit. I know you know this because you studied it, but people don't realise that the actual game theory and the concept of that has been around for hundreds of years.
1: Uh, yeah, especially even just things like maths. You know, a loot system in a game is effectively just probability, and mm-hmm. probability, is just, you know, it's been around forever. So there's, there's tons to learn from stuff outside of games for, for definite
0: Hmm. And indeed, well, I remember having a chat about a developer and we were talking about, you know, the commonality between tabletop games and video games. Bear with me on this. And he said that <laughs> and I know, we're talking about sort of card games, which I know some people have an anathema to, which is fine. But we just said that and it dawned on me, this is about ten years ago we had this conversation, that it says it's programming. Oh yeah. yeah. It it is. It's it's basic it's Boolean logic. Only in a very physical form it is if and or x or and sometimes else and then but it's there in just in your face but it's in card form with pretty pictures and numbers on them or symbols or both
1: uh, or sometimes text um, do you agree yeah totally it actually reminds me of this a game I used to play when I was in school called the, um, the Crystal Rainforest, it's really, really early kind of 90s MS DOS kind of game. And that, that was, um, it was education masked behind a game. And it was basically teaching you maths, teaching you physics, teaching you Boolean logic, teaching you probabilities. And yeah, you know, paper, paper games are the same. It's just that. You dress, you dress them up kind of any way you want, but the chances are is that you know the logic flows will be the same, the maths behind the game will be the same, the strategies will be the same. It's just in a different format rather than playing it on a on a pad. You, you're picking up some cards from a deck.
0: Nothing new under the sun. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's really quite <laughs> galling when people say that. Like, really? There's only four chords? Well, no, but <laughs> <laughs> most of your most of my favourite songs only employ four chords.
1: I know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge Oasis fan, so I know that all too well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, and
0: yeah, it's just there's nothing wrong with that. But it's what's produced and how it's. I mean, a, a canvas has always been a canvas for, well, tens of thousands of years. But you know, whatever is placed on that and what is expressed on that is different and unique to the artist, typically. Um, Ex- and that's how I see it. You know, yes um again i've said this before and i haven't said this in a while on the show but computers are a series of switches still at the moment and what you do here and then again although with hood outlaws and legends there is a multiplayer aspect so that's less you're less reliant on that but um you know less reliant on ai although it is present um there is still a sense of um the boolean logic kicking in again it's the reactive whatever you're going to do then certain circumstances would then trigger an event or trigger a thing uh, or many things or multiple things and then they in turn trigger many things that is how it works and um i mean did you delve that into that much at university do you remember
1: yeah i mean the the course itself was was a mixed bag in terms of you know the things that you got taught so it wasn't always about design you know sometimes it was about art you know basic modeling skills sometimes it was an appreciation for stuff outside of games um but yeah there there was you know not necessarily a programming but more like a logic component to it you know thinking about cause and effect you know if you're going to a bit, a bit like in hoods, you know, we've got we've got rocks to distract guards. Well, if you throw a rock, what happens? You know, should they look to the direction of where the rock came from? Should they look at where it lands? How quickly should they turn around? Uh, what happens if they're in the middle of a fight? Are they really going to turn around and look at a rock whilst they're fighting somebody? So it, it's all about, you know, cause and effect, thinking about all the different ways and different permutations of things that could happen. And as you say, in a multiplayer scenario, that, that just increases exponentially because you can't you can't predict what any one of eight players could do at any given moment but the AI you know that we have AI guards in the game still have to behave appropriately in any given scenario
0: yeah yeah unlike uh, unlike other players going could you just make sure you stay there you distract that and i go why did you do that well I saw something shiny oh god <laughs> <laughs> That's scary. yeah 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 something there's the, something shiny is what hood is about actually hood and outlaws uh it's just, just all of it is all about ultimately you're trying to get something shiny but there's so yeah, many yeah. other shiny things that occur like, oh what's that please don't told you no so my next question now um this one you can answer for your studio but i suspect your colleagues has been on the show before because you are representing sumo so uh, maybe it's for yourself, but what are your biggest influences as a creator of things?
1: Uh, that's interesting. Um, you know, if I think back to maybe when I first got into games or I or the idea of games, one of my probably biggest influences was uh, Dominic Diamond <laughs> from, from the old Games Master show in the 90s. So, you know, if I think about, you know, what, what got me into games in the first place, it would probably be that. Um, in terms that of terms of- show was weird. Sorry to pause you there, my yep. friend. But No, no. For the
0: uninitiated, we have an international audience and many people yeah. might not know because you did rattle through that and that's fine because I know who that is and many of the audience may, but let's just explain. So Dominic Diamond's is a very unique person, still is, still talking about, yeah. and I think he's coming back into games in some form, I'm not sure, he's been doing lots of Twitch streaming, but be that as it may. <clears throat> he um, he was a, a, he is a, a Scottish person, he lives, he lives in Canadian land now, but um, yeah. And he had a very unique presentation style, and he hosted most of the series of a show called Games Master, which was a a uh, late evening, uh, Channel 4, well, yeah, it started in Channel 4, I think it ended in Channel 4 as well, um, TV show in the UK uh, in the in the 90s, in the um, early 90s, early to mid-90s, I seem to remember. Um, yeah. yeah. I was a little bit old when it came out, um, so I didn't really glom onto it. Um, it wasn't it wasn't really aimed at me, so I'm not being yeah. like this is beneath me. It just wasn't my I wasn't my I wasn't the target audience. However. Um, the presentation was very unique. They had really weird sets. They had the golden joystick sort of thing. You have to win competitions with you play head to head on various consoles, typically Mega Drive and uh, SNES uh, or SNES, yeah. if you pronounce it, and uh, also sometimes Amiga stuff and that kind of thing. But typically, it was Mega Drive and SNES. Um, yeah. Well, I remember, but they went off to do other things like arcade systems and stuff like that. It went, it went places really strange places and um but it was very you know anarchic and off the wall and they really pushed the boundaries of of television at that time um to yeah. the point where i think they got a lot of complaints but they didn't care they just carried on um why what what is what is dominic specifically that made you like think i want to be part of that
1: world yeah i think it was the show like you said maybe it was um you know i I was the perfect kind of target audience at the at the time it's interesting you mentioned about it being channel four and them getting a bit a bit troubled because that was the time where you know the watershed probably wasn't really a thing or you know that they could get away with things on tv you know half seven at night that nowadays you wouldn't be able to do until at least 10 o'clock or half 10 you know subtle jokes and things like that but but going back to the you know the reason why i think at the time you know i was a big games fan anyway i was i was a sega kid kind of back in the 90s um so you know you mentioned games or influences so i was a big fan of sonic alex kids you know mortal Kombat things like that but then seeing that kind of live on stage was pretty cool you know being able to see it on tv you know that, that it had this prominent kind of prime time spot and then the idea that you know there is people that make these games the celebrities that are playing these games you know that whole kind of aura around it was pretty cool and then i think shortly after that, you know you alluded to it earlier they, they, they did kind of like game awards you know they're still pres- fairly prestigious you know the, the golden joysticks they're, they're pretty well known um but then also the games magazine that that accompanied the show um I, I i was pretty much i think i've owned almost every single copy of that throughout the 90s but more importantly is that in some sections of them, they used to have, um, you know, I'm a developer kind of sections, and they would chat about, you know, I'm an artist in the industry, you know, I worked on Donkey Kong Returns, here is how I got my first break, you know, I'm a designer in the industry, I worked on GoldenEye, here's how I got my job. So basically I I used to collect kind of snippets from the magazine, and obviously I got into the magazine because I'd watched the TV show and that kind of you know spiraled from there. So the little snippets, I used to have a little poly pocket, almost like a folder. And it was just, you know, here's the types of things that you should do if you want to get into the industry or take a look at this course at this particular university, which just so happens, you know, to be one of the universities on my doorstep. So that's, that's kind of how it came about. But it just so happens that um, Dominic Diamond was the, you know, presenter of the show. Uh, been fortunate enough to, you know, chat to him a couple of times recently, actually, um, you know, just, you know, a general kind of catch up and just share some kind of memories of the 90s and stuff <laughs> but you know I've, I've never met the guy but he's still one of my idols but he was the host of the show and he's he's you know if it wasn't for him the show probably wouldn't be as, as adored as kind of it was he had a desert dry sense of humor
0: which he didn't yeah. care he, he wore it like a badge of honor this is yeah. what i am this is what i do i will now drop this really it's barely innuendo at this point but i'm going to do it anyway and I'm going to say it with a straight face and look directly at the camera. <laughs> and yes. it's just, I, I get the appeal, but like I said, um, by the time it arrived, I was too old. Um, yeah. And I was on, I was playing Amigas and PCs and stuff, and I was just off and doing other things. And uh, for me, as this little joke, um, <clears throat> for me growing up, they didn't have Games Master. They had things like Micro Live, which is one of the driest tedious like the closest thing we had to any tech on the telly it was that (laughs) and one of the hosts i can't remember his name forgive me but he actually said many many years later he's sadly no longer with us i think uh, but he said it was more like micro dead he said uh i kept on telling them that this isn't going to work this is dull this is you're trying to you're you're presenting it in such a gray suited way this is awful we need to do this is just not going to fly and he was right, you know. In reflection, it was all we had. But when you look at it now, and there's archives of it on YouTube and all sorts of places, you can go, "How did people? What? What were they? They, they didn't know what they were doing. You see, they didn't know what it was. It was all alien to them. This weird technology was accelerating beyond the people who were writing about it. They just didn't understand it. And yeah. that's the kind of thing I grew up with. You see, the people still faltering and trying to figure out how these things worked well by the time the 90s rocked around people had a better idea of how they worked I'm not going to say they knew because now you look back on that and you go why is everything so garish uh- <laughs> <laughs> What's with the hair? What's with the hair? You know, it's just, that's how it was, um, and you just um, yeah, it's. But even still, they, they they had a better understanding of game design. I mean, had Nintendo for God's sake, you know, they they, they, yeah. they, they did their thing. I know you said you're a Sega person, but let's say let's face it, Mario uh, and Super Mario are phenomenal games uh, that still totally. stand the test yeah. of time. Um, and I was I was neutral in the whole thing because I'd moved on to PCs and Doom and stuff by then. Yeah, so not being elitist, please don't think that it's just that I'd moved on.
1: <laughs> PC is, yeah.
0: I was playing PC games and Wing Commander and and Dungeon, you know, Underworld and stuff like that. So it was it was awesome, but it's a different time, different tranche, and that's fine. I went back to consoles eventually with the PlayStation, but yeah, and um, but that's a really good thing to to, to be inspired by to say look you know these are these are did human beings make video games no they do and yeah. uh, the fact that the games master was so forward thinking and saying let's just highlight the people let's just showcase these people who are behind the code something i've been doing you know for the past eight years but they did it 20 25 years ago so yeah well, credit credit to the editors and the creators
1: so well done yeah, because I, th- I think when you when you're a kid in the 90s, you you play a game, you know, say like a Sonic or an Alex Kid or you know it's one of my favourite zombies at my neighbours things like that. But you you never think when you're a kid there is people making this stuff. You you just think it's magic. You you just think you know something's on the screen. You don't understand where it comes from. And, you know maybe the Games Master TV show didn't necessarily show the the developers themselves. You know maybe at times they did or they were in the audience, but especially when they got into the magazines, yeah, you know, the magazines were pretty prominent in doing that. I know, I know Edge magazine tends to do that now as well. You know the, the face behind the the music or the face behind the the character and things. But I think Games Master was doing that. You know first, definitely in the mid nineties for sure.
0: Yeah. And The Edge is an institution now. <laughs> Who'd have thought it? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I do remember taking a copy of The Edge to the US once, which is where, where, back 20 years ago now when I went for the earliest E3. T- yeah, it was 2000 and It had a copy of it, and uh, I was, was flicking through it and sitting there, and uh, one of my American friends sort of walked up and said, well, what is that? What What is that? And I showed them this copy and it had a Ferrari thing on the front. I can't remember what it was. It might have been F-355 they were talking about. I don't know. I can't remember. But um, it was this extraordinary sort of like, and it, it is a like a coffee table book. That's something Jeff Green, if you remember him, he actually said the, the Edge is a coffee table book for a monthly coffee table book on video games that has no ads in it. So they can't figure it out. How did they stay afloat? They just didn't understand um, that how such a small publication could still be profitable you know here we are um 20 30 years later it's still going still going
1: yeah, yeah. fantastic magazine h as well really good
0: yeah yeah but that's a really good shout next question cool. what developer do you most admire
1: in the industry and why oh that's interesting employer of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I had a list of a couple that was kind of, you know, going to reel off. I was thinking, you know, maybe like a Rockstar North. I've been big fans of them for kind of a lot of years of the GTA games. You know, the Naughty Dog stuff is is kind of clear, but actually the, you know, maybe it's quite kind of poignant with it being last night, but probably one of my favorite developers in the world right now is, is Guerrilla and certainly for the last couple of years. So they're the team... That's made the um, the Killzone franchise. They've also, you know, most recently done Horizon Zero Dawn. And then as of, you know, just last night, they've, they've announced, you know, they showcased, you know, Forbidden West, which is the sequel. Um, the, and the reason why I, ca- I came across them and the reason why I mentioned them is a lot of years ago, I used to put a lot, a lot of time into the original uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. And that w- that was a lot, a lot of time. And obviously that game is not made by Guerrilla. But around the same time as that, Killzone 2 came out. And I was obsessed with Call of Duty at that time. And when Killzone 2 came out, I completely put Call of Duty down. <laughs> and I sunk all of my time into Killzone 2, which I thought was a fantastic game. Um, brilliant multiplayer. Single player was, you know, super hardcore. very kind of weighty, visceral kind of combat. Um, gunplay feels very heavy. You know, the visually... It looked like one of the best games on the PS3 at the time, and, it, and even if you look at the, the tech demo videos now, it's it's still pretty impressive, you know. However old that was, maybe tw- twelve years ago, maybe maybe longer. Um, so it was just a great game. Uh, I played Shadowfall, so that was one of the first games I played on PS4, which was great. But you know, obviously, we will probably get to this when we chat about Hood. But we looked at um, Horizon Zero Dawn a lot for Hood. And that was specifically because of the Bone Arrow kind of play in the game. And that's fantastic. You know, for me, I think that is probably one of, if not the best, you know, Bone Arrow in the games industry. That There's lots and lots of games that have guns in them. There's lots of good games that have, you know, fancy telekinesis kind of abilities and superpowers and, you know, gravity guns and things like that. But there's not actually that many games that have done Bone Arrows. It's, it's probably more of a recent thing where you've started to get Tomb Raider and... The Last of Us and things like that, and I just think in that area, you know, which is effectively a projectile-based weapon, where every shot is kind of meaningful, they've created something that that feels great, but also is against this amazing kind of backdrop of, you know, uh, prehistoric kind of wildlife, and then on that point, they've created a franchise which is so totally different from what they did before. I'm, I'm a huge kind of admirer of that. You know, they could have just done. Another three more kill zones, first person shooters, the end of the world kind of scenario. And instead, they did this vibrant, you know, community kind of game where you're helping to save the world and you, you're doing so in a, a totally different environment. You know, it's about saving the world rather than kind of destroying it. So, yeah, I've, I've got, got a lot of love for, for Guerrilla Games.
0: That is. I'm a big fan of their work too. I liked Kill Zone 1. I know it's not a fantastic game, but it was. A damn fine one. I did enjoy it on the PlayStation 2. And yep. then we saw it on Killzone 2. Really enjoyed it. Not too keen on the last boss fights towards the end. Was a controller throwing moment, as was Killzone 3. <laughs> that was even worse with that. But it was... And um, Shadow Four Me too. I was one of the earliest uh, PlayStation 4 games I played. I think I actually bought the bundle. The, the Shadow Four bundle on the PlayStation 4. A, yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful box that was. Oh look at that. Oh, that's that's awesome. Uh, yeah. and I still have for PS4 because there's still some games that don't work on a PS five. Shocking. <laughs> um Mainly a Jeff Minter game, which is just dumb just unforgivable, you know. So what are you doing, Jeff? Anyway, um that aside. Um uh and you know, the, the Horizon Zero Dawn, I'm a massive fan of that game. That was my game my Christmas game. You know, we always get a Christmas game. I get a Christmas game anyway. It's like the game you play through that holiday yep. period. Last year, it was, well, I didn't finish it, but I started uh, Valhalla. And uh, and then the year before that was Outer Wilds, which is another podcast, which we can't, <laughs> we're not, not, doing, not talking about Outer Wilds. That would take a very long time. But before <laughs> that was, was Horizon Zero Dawn. And to this day, to this day, one of my favourite, favourite gaming moments, that moment of clarity with that game, was me just going along a footpath, and it was quite late on in the game, very late on in the game. And I was got to the point where I was almost invincible, but the, the beauty of that game is you never are. You never reach that point where you're almost invulnerable. You are actually still, even though, you know. But even that said, I saw one of those big crocodile things. You know, the mechanical crocodiles. I went,
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, I don't know. What if... And it was just like, there was no reason for me to do this. It wasn't part of a mission, no goals, no no, no collectathon, nothing. I went, What if I just turn that one and see what happens? Because <laughs> it was surrounded by other creatures, you know, like, just, 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 just see what happens. So I went scuttling over, you know, jumped up and I'd. Put loads of boosts and stuff into my control rod thing, shoved it into the side, turned the knob, and and then turned it, and then just left, Jamie. I just left, just <laughs> carried on. So I, what no, yeah, and I just watched the chaos ensue. It was brilliant. Yeah. Cat uh, pigeons. That's yeah. what it was. It was all it was. There was no. There was just seeing the game, do its thing, to see the world because they, Gorilla made this world and allowed me to do that. There was no, there was no profit from it at all, in, materially, is from the game. I wouldn't get any money for it, but well, I got some material and stuff. But I was already pretty much maxed out on everything. I had nothing really to, to, to you know. There's no more profit in it at all. It's just pure, just, a, this and that for me, you know, that emergent experience, like right? yeah, that's cool. That's that's really a, you know, that's they've made something
1: quite exceptional to be allow me to do that to just play with it. Did you ever do things like that? Yeah, I mean, the, the one that comes to mind for me is I, I remember um, maxing out, you know, the, I think it's called the trip caster, the one where you can kind of, you know, put ropes across objects. So I basically yes. put about 15 of these ropes down, a mixture of, you know, electric and explosive. So as soon as somebody crosses the tripwire wire, it explodes. And I think I did that. It, it took me about 15 minutes to set up this trap. So just, just imagine Kaplunk, you know, the, the, the board game kind of Kaplunk. And I've just got all these traps everywhere. And then I think there was an enemy right in front of me, a giant kind of T-Rex. And I think it just whistled him over to me and just basically just walked backwards. And he went into the trap and just... I think, you know, my PlayStation was kind of hounding at that point because the amount of VFX and, you know, particles and explosions and things that were going off, the the, the creature just didn't survive. No, <laughs> yeah, he no, no. He had no chance, basically. But just, just to watch him kind of do that. And like you said, you know, they've gone from a series which is... You know, Killzone, very linear, you know, th- th- difficulty kind of spikes in some levels to something that's so open-ended and systemic where you can choose how you want to approach it. As I say, you know, I've, I've got a lot of, you know, a lot of love for that kind of approach as well. And like you say, the, the the example that you just gave, I think everybody will have their own kind of moment that, you know, the game provides because it's so systemic.
0: Yeah, i just... One of the things I like to cite as my, you know, the highlights of gaming experience, that and finishing Outer Wilds. Yeah. And sorry, that that game. It asks it asks a really fundamental question and no one likes to answer. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have you finished it or have you played Outer Worlds? I don't I can't remember.
1: I've played a little bit of it, yeah, So right, I'm, I'm yes. involved with uh, BAFTA, and I think it was one of the games on the BAFTA list. So, yes, yeah, right. so, I sunk a few hours in, but I don't think I got to the end. So no,
0: sure you would have remembered. <laughs> you would have remembered. Oh, yeah. It's just yeah, like. You, you, it's one of those ones you put a controller down going, no, no, no. And you just walk away, going, walk from the screen, going, no, no. <laughs> I can't say any more than that but it's one of those awesome games that has such an extraordinary emotional reaction at the end like after all that it's a great great thing it's a great thing yeah um, but uh, yeah which lead us on then um, and again Gorilla, really, yeah really good shout out for them and good uh, recognition people should do that more they do some amazing things and you're right it's very topical because they did announce uh, um, the, uh, the new was it the uh, west something sorry you Forbidden said.
1: West. yeah Forbidden yeah,
0: Forbidden west. West, yeah now yeah. And i finished it so i know you know for me like oh oh were they the thing and the thing and maybe find the fun thing with the- oh yeah i mean yeah <laughs> i
1: know,
0: I know. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean i don't want to spoil anything about because i like the story speaking of liking things what are you playing right now
1: yeah, that's interesting. Um, so I'm bit, between a few games, but I've just finished um, Resident Evil 8 just, just last week, uh, Resident Evil Village. I'm, I'm a huge fan of that series. So I, I absolutely loved 7. Um, I love 2. 2 is probably my favorite in the franchise, but I rate kind of 8, you know, quite, quite high up there. And now that I've finished it, um, a shame on me for this, but I've only just discovered Returnal. So I've, I've had it for about a month or so and Resident Evil and maybe one or two other games took precedence over it and i i played Returnal yesterday and i'm i'm pretty convinced you know as of this moment it's the best game on ps5 it's absolutely fantastic um my praise indeed man. wow yeah, it's, it's, it's it's brilliant i i think the thing i really like about it's I, I don't know if you remember but when the ps4 first came out like you said you had um, you had shadowfall but also a lot of people got resogun for free oh yeah of course they did i was up there yeah, and Resogun, you know, I'm, I'm a huge... I wasn't a big arcade player, but I'm a big fan of Defender. So as soon as Resogun came out, I was in kind of like top 50, top top 200 and things like that, and a lot of the leaderboards. And I've I've almost got a pact with myself, which is every Housemarque game that comes out, I purchase it regardless <laughs> because of how much I love Resogun. Because I, I feel like, you know, I ripped them off, the fact that, the you know, the game was a PS Plus kind of freebie, um, so I loved Super Stardust, I love um Alienation, I love Next Machina and I got Returnal and the, the thing I'm kind of most interested in with it is, you know, this idea that anybody can kind of pick up the game but it's got such a high skill ceiling that even when you face the first boss, you, you know, the, the challenge that you're up against almost reminds me of Dark Souls um, but it's almost like Dark Souls but with guns effectively, you know, that, that's the way I can kind of describe it, looks great. Um, the haptics on the pad are fantastic as well. You know, you've got things like the, the pitter patter of the rain. You've got the gunplay. Um, you know, you've got some cool creatures. It, it's almost like playing on the set of aliens, you know, when they go into the, the underground and you've got all the eggs on the floor in the original Ali- uh, Aliens film, um, the one from the 80s. And it's, yeah, it's just fantastic. Everything about it's great.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you know uh, Apone, the sergeant for Alien, sadly died recently? Oh no! Uh, I, no, yeah, no, it's very sad. Uh, but he was a great gruff sergeant. It was a, uh, um, but he's one of the, like you know, <laughs> another day in the corner, like day in the farm. Uh, but um, it's, uh, I have yet to play Returnal. I, I you know House Mark. I still Max Mackinna is one of my favourite PS4 games as well. Um, yep. uh, although it appeared on many other platforms, that was my. I was like, it was either that or a Jeff Minter game that I was trying to decide what to play. You know when I mean? you sitting there and I'm going to play something, but let's play this for a little bit and I'll get into something more more meaty. And then you realise that actually that's just as meaty. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah uh, I'm looking forward to jumping into Eternal, but I've got lots of other things distracting me at the moment. Uh, but, um, yeah, uh, I've, I've, heard, I've seen lots of people getting... Into the whole roguelike or road-like. I don't know which, which, light or like. I'm not sure. I think they're just the same now. I think they're interchangeable. But, yep. um, and you mentioned Defender. So, last, yeah. last week we had the chat for Jetboard Joust on, which is a lovely game that I highly recommend, which has got Defender like uh, aspects to it. And, uh, more than the like, I mean, it's, it, but it's a lovely game and it's on all the things as well. And, yeah. uh, but yeah, Defender's a unique one, isn't it? That's a that's a weird, weird game. Where
1: people think, oh, I know how to play this. No, no, you really don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost a, For me, it, it's interesting you mention it because um, it, it almost comes full circle. You know, I said earlier that I was a big kind of Sega kid, but there's one of the best, or in my opinion, one of the best versions of Space Invaders is on the original Sega, um, so on the Master System. And it's called uh, Super Space Invaders, And effectively, it's Space Invaders, but with a mixture of stuff from Galaxy, And so you've got enemies that are flying all over the screen and doing all these crazy patterns. But also, they have a bonus mode. And the bonus mode is um, some alien spaceships are coming in to steal cows, and you've got to shoot the spaceships out the sky. And it's very similar to that Resogun and Devenda kind of style where, you know, you've got hostages and you kind of have to shoot the hostages out the air to kind of save them. Um, And then Resogun... they're up, and obviously that that leads you to uh, Returnal and things as well. So I think I've I've always been a big fan of kind of twin sticks, but certainly the old Defender game and that kind of lineage has probably led me to play in Returnal now. And mm. Returnal's you know they de- de- definitely inspired by at, at the very least in Dark Souls. It's almost like a Rezogun you know meets Dark Souls kind of play style from from a third person perspective. It's really cool.
0: Could be RoboTron
1: as well. <laughs> yeah fun. yeah it's fantastic yeah it's a great game
0: so uh, that's uh that's what guns and people you've got to save and stuff uh, yeah the amount of times i've died because i just couldn't not you know like i said it's a thousand points they're within three pixels no no <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful model of risk reward that game it really yeah. is really is using jarvis was an absolute genius What is? he still about of course so yeah. That's the end of the first half, Jamie. Cool. Well done, you made it. There you go. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's moved on. We moved on. Move on <laughs> to the second half of the show, where we delve deep into hood, outlaws, and Legends. Before we can do that, before we can talk about hood outlaws and legends, I'd like to hear from you in your own words, and I wish you the very best of luck with this. What is
1: hood outlaws and legends? Yeah, so it's um it's a game came out recently. Um, it's a competitive multiplayer heist game. So the idea is is that um you, you're a part of a team and you're it's in events or kind of a a medieval inspired kind of events of a robin hood kind of fantasy and the idea is is that your team has to sneak into a castle and steal gold uh from the state and the state are you know heavily armored very fearsome kind of guards that are protecting the gold that's in the castle and the trick or you know kind of the catch with it is is that you're not the only team that's got their objective so there is an enemy team that's also got the you know the same goal as you have So whilst you've got one team sneaking into a castle, there might be another team that's causing chaos on the other side of the map, or the other team might be, you know, kind of setting up an ambush, ready to take you down as you open the vault uh, door itself. Um, A lot of people describe it as, uh, you know, payday meets Game of Thrones. So it's, you know, medieval heist game, that very kind of gritty, dark kind of fantasy. Um, But I remember when I first came on the project, I, I compared it to Kane and Lynch. You know, that was one of my favourite games of the PS... I think it was PS3 era. Um, Xbox 360,
0: PS3 area, era, that's yeah.
1: That's it, yeah. F- Fantastic yeah. game. Uh, re- really underrated and more importantly for that game as well is, I think it was ahead of its time. I think it was about 10 years ahead of, you know, the you know, the, the, the people waiting for it because everybody just wanted to shoot each other in the head <laughs> at that stage. But I remember coming to the project and just saying, uh, to me, I would describe it as medieval Cain and Lynch. You know, it's um there's a lot of backstabbing. There's a lot of, you know, tricks and traps that you can set up. And ultimately, the the, the goal is to steal the gold from, from the state.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was the whole point, is it? Is that you are doing a heist, although in this particular, you know, with, with Hood, Outlaws and Legends, you don't turn on each other, whereas nope. in other heist games, you actually, you know, the, the end point is where you get the gold and then everyone's the point guns at each other and go, OK, well, I'm <laughs> just going to take it all for myself now, because that's the whole point of heist things. is the, you know, the, the, no honour amongst thieves, everyone. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's not the case with uh, Hood, Outlaws and Legends at all. So, first design question. Yeah. And yes, it is a third-person game, by the way. It's sort of like you are controlling a third-person variety of characters. It's four, at the moment, four different characters, all yeah. quite unique and different. One's almost an all-rounder, which is Hood himself, or herself, or themselves. Uh, and uh, uh, I like to think he's a little bit all-rounder, but not quite. He's more of a ranged attack. Um, and then we have um, uh, John, who's like this big sort of lump of a man uh, and uh, huge and then uh, there's Took isn't there and uh, Marianne isn't it? Um, Yeah Marianne's the assassin Yeah that's right (laughs) she's the assassin and she's uh, but yeah there's the the, the, and the the healer stroke uh, stroke a little bit of a tank as well which is perfect because clerics in D&D everyone Dungeons and Dragons are also tanks people don't know this but you can actually shove them in the front and they'll take a beating it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've seen that when people play D&D. And like, what, were you shoving the cleric in there? Oh, I see, yeah, yeah, just take the hits, didn't they? So, <laughs> um, can you talk us through the method of level design in Hood Outlaws and Legends? Because there's a need, just like um, DE Dust 1, or DE Dust from counter-strike which is now legendary as a map okay whether it's good yep. or bad it is legendary i know it very well I do you remember people doing sandcastles made out of that bloody map okay and that's fine but tell us you know i want to ask you because the, the key to, to the hood outlaws and legends is exploiting the environment and its geography to in, in, encourage tactical play what kind of iterative process have you undergone I'm sure there has been one to make sure that there's there is something there there's a base to to you know you can find yourself going you know you're finding you play these maps and you go they're over there they're over this place or they're at this place they're, they're, they the they, they they end up having nicknames for places within the maps but how yeah. have you I mean that's a that's a beauty spot when you actually start talking in shorthand and, and all that and that's when you really really get engrossed but Talk us through the, the design process for those, please, because I'm fascinated with multiplayer games in that regard.
1: Yeah, so we we have um, five maps in the game currently. We have a sixth, I, I think it's upcoming soon. Um, and the the idea for each of the maps was to provide kind of ways or d- multiple ways for you to get into the castle. You know, f- first and foremost, um, so some of the maps have multiple castles, and ultimately, that's the goal is for you to get to that location and steal the t- the treasure. Um, However, even though that's the common kind of goal, we do have some randomization. So every time you play the game, um, the AI, you know, the guards that are there, they might be in slightly different positions in terms of their walking paths. You have uh, the sheriff who's almost like Mr. X from Resident Evil. He's basically, you know, almost invulnerable and he's carrying the key. And that's the thing that you need to basically break into the vault. Um, But he can appear in different places. So he's almost like Where's Wally. You know, he he changes position. Um, But, you know, getting into the castle itself, we have railings in the castle. Um, You know, some of them that you can climb onto, some you can't. But the ones you can climb onto uh, have grapple points. And the grapple points have a rope attached to them. So for the ranged characters... If you have a ranged character on your team, they can provide almost like a shortcut, you know, over a railing that if you didn't have that character, you would have to take the long way around or you would have to take the routes that would, you know, push you into a group of guards or wherever that may be. Um, But it's worth mentioning at that point that uh, in HUDs, we, we have four playable character classes, as you mentioned earlier. There is no restriction as to which ones you can choose to go into a battle with. So if you choose, you know, four melee characters, then that option of sneaking into the castle over the railing doesn't exist because you don't have somebody to shoot the kind of grapple down. So so that's another kind of element to it. Um, we do have doors in the in the level. So basically doors are a way to slow you down. Um, they can also funnel you down certain routes. But the other thing with the door is some characters will almost pick You know, pick the lock so they're really quiet and they're really fast at doing it. Some characters, like John, who has a big hammer, he'll just smash the door open. But then, more importantly, on that, it'll emit noise. So, any guards in the nearby area will be alerted to your kind of presence. So, we have, you know, a mixture of random kind of things in the maps. We have some, you know, interactables that are character specific. But also, then we have some things where it's more optimal to use some characters rather than others. Um, And then, as I said earlier, we do have um, five maps currently within each of the maps. We have variants on, you know, their visuals. They have a different kind of theme. There might be, you know, one's more at nighttime, one's, you know, at dusk and so on. Um, But separate from that, we do have things like the density of fog. We do have, um, you know, the sight lines that are across the maps, you know, being able to shoot a target with Robin on the other side of the map you can't do that on every map so some maps are made to be open kind of wastelands which is a bit like the the marshland map it's, it's like a big um, you know open swamp whereas you have something like citadel it's very built up it's very dense you know it's very difficult for you as a robin player to shoot targets over long range because you simply don't have the sightlines so yeah each each map almost has its own flavor from different ingredients that we use throughout. And then the you know the randomization also um, accounts for things like the treasure door location. So you've got to break into a treasure vault, but that door is not always in the same location either. So every time you play, there is things that you can learn about the map, but there's also things that change to kind of keep it fresh as well.
0: It's There's so many different options and different ways that you approach each map, and you start from different locations and things like this. I just think the, the the sheer scope of variation must have been quite yeah. a challenge, And it was. You definitely explain that to me, is just the and to the audience, is that um, you know making maps for multiplayer games like this has always been a challenge. In fact, ever since the days of Doom, you know it's been you know the creation of the deathmatch and stuff. That's been you know made, made of broken of uh, uh, certain games about how you can create the best map for a multiplayer experience because you're going to get a situation where someone finds this amazing spot in a particular and they end up you know spawn killing and things like that which is you know doesn't really happen here but uh, it's always a danger when you you feel human beings being the way they are if they can find a way to exploit and make life easier for themselves at the expense of others they will yeah path of least resistance
1: that's what it is yeah yeah
0: the players need to learn a lot about how each different character interacts with others and the environment they're in um and that can be quite daunting in hood Outlaws and legends it's to, to be faced with that that sort of choice and it is only four characters. There's going to be more added. I understand, but for the moment, you do have that broad choice and that broad sort of, and then that opens up different avenues of tactics and thinking. Yeah. Uh, what have you done to make this not daunt- not as daunting as it could be with uh, hood outlaws and legends? What have you done to the player experience to make to ease them into what 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 was the kind of the mechanics and things you've done?
1: Yeah, um, so it's a good question, that one actually, because th- throughout development, you know, people used to have their favorite characters. For me personally, it was always about Robin. But the irony with Robin is, you know, being a sniper kind of play style, he, even though he's almost the, the cover art, you know, character, he's the face of the game and things, he's not necessarily the easiest to pick up um, and play as. You know, a lot of people play as Robin, they might miss a couple of shots and then they'll try a different character, see if they have some better luck. But in terms of you know things that we did, um, so specifically for Robin, we've got a lot of aim assists in the game. So we have we're a projectile-based game, so the projectiles fire across the map. They curve towards targets slightly. We have some generous kind of hit boxes for hit targets, but also things like the you know the tutorial at the start of the game, we at least give you the opportunity to sample each character. So you'll do a tutorial where it starts as Robin, you're scouting out your prey. And then all of a sudden, you'll transition into Marion. Marion's hiding in a bush, so she's more like a you know a sneaky assassin kind of play style. Then that transitions into Tuk. Tuk heals Marion, because Marion's got really low health. So you understand that you know Tuk's the person that provides you the information about the enemy whereabouts on the map, but also you know he's, he's a healer. Like you said, he's, he's effectively a cleric. And then it finishes up with John, and John has the ability to lift gates. So not only can he... You know, allow people through routes that they wouldn't normally be able to get through. He's just a pure powerhouse. And what we actually found is, you know, behind the scenes and during, you know, testing, a lot of people gravitated towards John because he's got such an easy kind of play style, and you know, th- there's no frills about playing as that particular character. Um, so you know, you push you push the kill button and just hope that nothing else kind of kind of moves once you've once you've pressed it. Um, but, but outside of the game itself, actually. Before the launch, we released uh, maybe five minute videos for each of the characters, and it was describing each of their play styles. It was, you know, showing the types of tactics that you could do with them, uh, because you've not only got the, you know, the individual characters and how to play them, but you've almost got the combinations of the characters as well. So, you know, a Tuck, a Tuck can highlight a target and then Robin can shoot the target in the head. And that ta- that target might be very difficult to see otherwise. Yeah. So combinations of things were, were used for that, and then otherwise, uh, one of the other things we do have is in the character select screen, we do have almost the preview. It's a bit like Overwatch, where you have a you know an overview of the character's abilities, their actions, and in that same area, it's a practice arena, so you can test out the characters. You can try out all their different pieces of equipment and their weapons and you can try it against, you know, training dummies. So we, we basically give you lots of different information about how to play as the characters. But ultimately, it's a bit like learning to drive. You know, you you don't really learn to drive until you're on the roads, but we're trying to help you as much as possible, you know, beforehand.
0: I really loved the tutorial because it taught me a lot about each different character and their strengths and weaknesses. And I... I spend most of my time as Hood because I like the variety of options you have as that player, that character. But I also do Took as well because just going back to my World of Warcraft days as a healer, you know, yeah. so it's, just as a support class, I do like playing those. A lot of people don't, but I like uh, helping, you know, doing the assists. Nothing wrong with assists, right? Yeah.
1: Um, so Unsung guess, hero. That's that's what um, it is.
0: Yeah, and the assassin move is pretty brutal as well. You know, wrapping a chain around someone's head and then just pulling very hard, and off the pop, you know, off the head pops. It's quite, you know, quite satisfying. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about um, the AI environment element in yeah. uh, Hood Outlaws and their legends because we we've you, you've delved into visible detail about it, but let's to be clear, everyone, it is. It is ultimately, it is, I hate using that phrase, it's nothing, there's nothing ultimately, but at its core it is a, a PvP experience, you are a team game, you're competing against another team, and that's fine, it is it is pretty much captured a flag only with a chest and other things, and that's fine, in fact, it's a bit wrong with me to actually distill it to that, because it's not that, but you know what I mean, yeah. same kind of tactical thinking, I find myself using my Halo experience a little bit, just a little bit, just a little Um, So, but how have you found balancing the presence of AI enemies and environments and hazards with the player versus player interaction? What have you found mixing that? Because they do disrupt, they're they're a great thing, the, the, the presence of the AI do a great job of disrupting the best laid plans of a heist. Uh, although they can be, you know, a plan can be anchored around r- eliminating them. But in many cases, they are deeply disruptive. How have you found balancing that experience versus the, how the players interact with each other?
1: Yeah, I mean, the the, the biggest, uh, one of the biggest challenges has always been, you know, the this, this stealth versus combat kind of component. So the, the AI and their, their presence or so the whole reason for the AI's existence is, is to, you know, provide some resistance to you playing the objective. Um, you know, the way you mentioned it earlier is interesting, you know, it, it's effectively a PvP game, but actually it's a PvP game if you play the game wrong in a way. You know, if, if you play the game 100% stealth, you will never ever encounter another team because you would get away scot-free. Except the challenge is, is that that's extremely difficult to do, you know, because of the AI threat, they're placed all around the map. Um, they're placed in enough density so that you, you know, you basically have to do something about them. You, you can't kind of avoid them. Um, the way that they're set up is, in general, they are extremely easy to kill if you stealth take down them. So you know, if you sneak behind them and then, as you said earlier, you know, wrap a chain around the throat with tuck or you know, stab them in the neck with the Robin, they're dead easy. However, if you take them on, you know, in, in full flow, in full combat, they will sap a lot of time from you. And that's that's the way we looked at it is, you know, it, it's not a fighting game like a Forerunner or, you know, maybe like a Dark Souls. But the AI is just there to sap time away from you from the objective. And the other team could be getting away scot-free, you know, whilst you're surrounded by guards. And the PvP element is an interesting factor as well because, you know, the, the teams are so unpredictable. And, you know, this, that that level of unpredictability changes depending on whether you're on, you know, comms or not. If you're, you know, going out in the wild and matchmaking, you could come across a team that just decides to set off all of the guards, set off all the alarms, and then it just becomes chaos. Whereas you might have a team, you know, as I said earlier, maybe a, a really strong PvP team. Where they choose to stay in stealth, and you literally play in a game for fifteen minutes, and maybe you only see them once, you know, because they're hiding in bushes and things. But yeah, that you know, the core goal for the AI is for them to provide resistance and slow slow the teams down. But if you take them on, you know, head on, then you've kind of create that problem for yourself. However, you know, you can you can get away from them scot free if you stay in crouch and stay in stealth. And the PvP side of it is is the unpredictable kind of elements. You know, you, you could be in a fight and all of a sudden another group of players joins or the other group of players might completely leave you alone, you know, to deal with the AI. So, yeah, it's been a constant balance of different players with different play styles, different team makeups, um, and so on, and in different maps, you know, as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's also the cooperative element, but the the difference between this and Vermintide, if I may, because I found myself like, oh, yeah, it's a bit like this only in Vermintide you're killing weird monsters because Warhammer I'm sure you know this everything's yeah. distorted and messed up and slightly weird Yeah, because there's a reason for that um, there's, there, I felt myself going that leaning into that a little bit as well like because I find the experience of Hood Outlaws and Legends is split into three acts there's the approach tactical approach how you're going to get into position to, to actually mount then there's intrusion or infiltration Actually, getting inside and then finding where the blasted chest is, and then getting out. (laughs) Yeah, it's and I find the bit between intrusion and getting out—that's where hell breaks loose. Normally, (laughs) normally, the you know the planet you can mess up the approach absolutely. That's happened countless times, not a problem, but it's just what you know because you the the act because everyone the people aren't patient. Jamie, <laughs> Yep. yeah, and they, I know you you designed the game to exploit human nature brilliantly, and and it's, it's both good and bad. And it's just, you know it's like when you're taking on a boss fight, and you've got they've got two slivers of health at the end, right? You spend all that time patiently whacking away, and then you just go, I'll just just die already, and then you get killed because you have been impatient. Very similar. With, with with Hood Outlaws and Legends is being your your ability to, you, you know you, the chest is just there, there is there, yes, but there's probably two players in there you haven't seen. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and just, they're just waiting for you, they're just, just chilling, waiting for yeah. you. And if you wait just a second or two for someone else to pop in, maybe a Marianne or something, she'll pop in and uh, have a look, a bit of a scope out and go, oh, look, there's one there, one there. Fine, we can deal with them then but don't go in on your own don't
1: (laughs) don't yeah they're they're, they're the worst situations is you know when you've almost got the chest is out in the open as bait and you know one person runs in and they get ambushed but you're right i think you know when when, when somebody gets the chest from the vault that's normally the point where the the switch kind of flicks but the interesting thing is you know it's happened a bunch of times um you know since it's been released out in the wild that one i mean for me one of the best feelings in the game is to get a headshot with Robin on the other side of the map but one of the other really good feelings is when you get to the winch and you get to crank it with your team scot free and the other team has absolutely no idea where you are because you performed the perfect kind of stealth run it's extremely difficult to do but when when you do it it feels like nothing else, you know. Around, it's a, it's a bit like you said. It's it's a modified capture the flag, but the difference is, is that the flag is not always on the map for people to see, and they have to no. get line of sight on it. Speaking of the winch,
0: yeah. My last question. Go. So there is a need to winch the chest from which you take it from the castle, and put it into the hold of the boat and stuff. You need to winch it out of place. So and you have to winch. It, so you know, couldn't that Hood uh, Outlaws and Legends requires you to lift this chest because you can't lift it yourself. It's a bit heavy. Um, its its presence seems to be create a chance for the opposing team uh, to snatch uh, victory from defeat, maybe. But tell us, how did this idea of basically creating this third act of the extraction? Uh, why 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 is it there why does it exist I think I know I do know the answer to this but I want you to tell us what well, why why have you made this in be why have you made the extraction an event in of itself rather than oh you just go
1: to this extraction point and then the game over why have you done that yeah so so during development we tried a whole bunch of different things so I think originally, what you just described is what we had, you know, in the first version. That was a, it was effectively a ring. And if you walk to the ring, you would effectively have game over, you know, that the team would win. Then we had it as a as a timer, so it was more like a horde mode, you know, you've got to survive in the ring for 30 seconds or whatever it may be. Um but, you know, what we actually found was people would be holding the chest. Whilst you're holding the chest, you're out with the action because you can't do anything. You know, you're holding this heavy box, effectively, you, you can't really do too much. So we thought, well, what if there's a way where we could effectively, you know, provide a narrative reason for what for why, you know, you can get it out of the map. So as you said, we have we have a crank, we have a pulley, we have an airframe, we have all this equipment that allows you to, you know, hoist it onto a boat or hoist it over a a wall or wherever it may be. Um, And the cool thing about that was is that it provided a moment for the enemy team to actually get a chance to, you know, to get back to you. So. They, they didn't lose out kind of scot free so it's, it's almost like a catch up mechanic, um, but on top of that, it gives the the defending team the opportunity to you know establish their kind of positioning around the chest. But we chose to make it a, a strategy kind of side instead of it being placed onto the winch and it automatically cranks itself you know almost like a slow conveyor belt. We chose to make it a you know an interaction. So you could choose to jump onto the winch. You have a crank. You can hold the button to go faster if you want. The problem with that is, is that it costs stamina. So stamina, you know, makes you more vulnerable when you're being attacked. So you could get onto the winch, but you might jump out and you're in a fight all of a sudden. But you're, you know, you're half stamina, so you, you're probably going to lose that fight. And then we also give you the option um, to have a second person jump on the winch as well. So, basically, you're almost balancing, you know, your chess pieces. You know, do you want to defend the area? Do you want to winch? Do you want to try to take out the enemy team? Are you positioned well enough? And so on. Um, but, yeah, we tried a few different things back and forth. And then, ultimately, um, we've decided on something where you get two people who are on the winch uh, optionally. You know, any, any character can jump on and off. The melee characters, who are more effective in combat are the strongest winching characters so you effectively have to take them out the game if, if you want to win but the ranged characters are much slower so effectively you want them kind of an overwatch but the the way we have it is the winch is set up into a bunch of notches and the winch will never go backwards so if you think of it as a progress bar when you get past you know 10 or 15 percent, you effectively bank that treasure but also the winch will never go back to zero again. And the reason for that is, is because we had a lot of stalemates during development You know, you would you would get into these everlasting matches where the it would be like a tug of war that would never end effectively. Um yeah and then the, the the current way it works is each person that gets a notch gets money for the team which gets shared out with everybody and the person who gets the last notch is the winner and that's kind of the end of the match.
0: It's yeah, I can see it's definitely to me definitely feels like the most designed aspect is like iterative concept like this is to try this try this all let's just create this thing that turns the escape itself into a significant event and many players i've encountered they they completely change their interaction with the game as soon as it occurs as soon as like okay we're gonna go we get we we've got it Let's just okay we're now at the winch and then all of a sudden everyone's attitude changes Yep. and they they they're, they're, they're under siege from all the enemies swarming in if the uh, environment, the AI enemies, as well as from the opposing players, and it's just, it's it's quite an intense experience towards the end, which is, makes sense because, the the trick is not so much stealing the object, it's getting away. With it is the trick, yeah. yeah, and that's the point, you know, getting away and just and it gets away from the situation where you could have done where okay, right, you got a chest now, everyone's got to shoot each other, whoever wins that fight has got and just, no, <laughs> it doesn't you know, I mean it works in other games, but in this particular environment and the way you've and this backstory and the concept of it, it wouldn't work. The PDP, PDP, you know, like group, you know, blue on blue kind of nonsense, you know, uh, player versus player, um, uh, team versus team, or, you know, teammate versus teammate. That's what I meant to say. It wouldn't work. You know, just the whole game would then collapse very quickly because if you knew that eventually one of your, your, your partners or fellow teammates would eventually backstab you, and what's the point in bringing it fruition from the from the beginning? You know, you just become a liar list don't you? Really, and it just it just doesn't I, except, work.
1: Yeah, I mean, m- maybe there's room for you know a hardcore mode in future where you you introduce mm-hmm. those kind of elements, but the way we've got it is, you know, we wanted a way. If you think of when the game starts, you know, the team almost disperses. You know, somebody's going up into the high ground. Somebody's going to open the door. Somebody's going to steal the key. Whereas at the end of the game, like you said, it gets quite intense, mostly because everybody is drawn to that one position. So in the final third, you know, everybody's attitude changes from, you know, drop what you're doing, get get to the winch. And that also, as you said, it includes the AI, the AI in the final third, are much more kind of reactive, so they, you know, they're, they're aware that the chest has been stolen. You know, there's the audio, you get the bells ringing out of the castle, you get the intensity of the music, but also you get Mr. X, you know, our, our sheriff, he's effectively marching towards the treasure, and you've also got to deal with him. So not only have you got to defend, you know, against the enemy team, but you've almost got this nuisance who, you know, he can insta kill anybody because he's yep. trying to defend his treasure.
0: I mean, it'd be quite funny how to cross over. We actually have the sheriff with the fedora on, just perched on top of his helmet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dear Capcom. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, "Could Outlaws and Legends, uh, is developed by Sumo Digital and published by Focus Home Interactive. Yeah. is out now on the following platforms. I hope I get this right, Jamie. Um, yeah. This is what the internet's telling me. If it's wrong, let me know uh windows pc yeah uh ps4 ps5 ps5 is the version i played yeah uh xbox one and xbox one series x stroke s no i yeah. do have a series x but uh that's why i played Hello. yes um but uh yeah um i think i've got it i've got it all that's it isn't it
1: yeah that's yeah, all them and the, the windows one is um steam and epic store but but it's pretty much yeah. on every platform except for switch unfortunately I,
0: it's interesting i treat the windows speakers of my age i just go well you can just get it from a store could be dog oh, yeah. could, could be anything i don't know just it's on there somewhere you'll find it you'll be fine. <laughs> um but uh, yeah um but jamie it's been wonderful having you on the show Oh, thanks. thanks for having me. I'm, a, I'm an avid listener, so it's,
1: it's nice for us to chat.
0: Yes, and uh, you're more than welcome to come back, and because uh, we've had repeat guests. Again, you you know that already, but we do have repeat guests. And uh, yeah, tell us what else you're going to be working on. Probably, I mean, it sounds like you would be working on Hood Outlaws and Legends for a while, because it is a game that has a life of its own. It's very much alive. It's a community-driven game more than any other. I'm sure that subreddit is fascinating to read. Yeah. um and uh but yeah it's uh no it's been really really good and well done for making such an extraordinary and brave game again sounds a bit patronizing I'm not but to make a, a really good squad based multiplayer game in these days is difficult because there's a lot of, lot of lot of competing attention out there for that but you've brought in something new here and the mere fact that um you know you can that each, each it's so asymmetric that's what I love about it. It's so asymmetric. Every player has their own unique experience to share, and that's that's quite impressive. Whereas many other games, certainly things like team play, PUBG for example, degenerates. I say degenerates, but basically moves and shifts into people bickering over the fact that a bush is moving and is not someone trying to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's true.
1: <laughs> so, thanks very much, Danny. Ah, oh, thanks very much. Thanks again for having me.
0: You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Canaan and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website caneandrinse.com. Long, don't
1: shed a tear There's a wolf in the night and he's talking here When the states live by the chamber or alive Then the ghost of the forest will be right now